And now is our scripture reading, and it will be from Genesis 15, 1 through 8. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Henry Thompson, and I am one of the associate pastors here at Christ Community Church. And today I have officially entered my second year of the residency at Christ Community. I started on June 1st of 2018, and today, as y'all know, is June 2nd of 2019. And I'm thankful for this past year that I've been able to serve at Christ Community. Also, I want to thank you all for your kindness and hospitality to me over this past year. And I'm glad to have the opportunity to preach the word once again this morning. Hi. <laughs> Sorry. So let us, <laughs> let us begin before we... Let me pray before we begin. (laughs) Father, I thank you for your grace, Lord. Um, I thank you uh, for your kindness to us, Lord. Pray that you would be with me as I proclaim your word this morning, Lord. I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that you would hide me at the foot of your cross, Lord. I pray that you would be exalted and glorified in this message, Lord. I pray that you would bless your people through this word this morning, Father. I pray that we would... Really see your glory, God, your goodness and your, your trustworthiness, Lord, through, through this word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I find it hard to trust people. Maybe you're with me. I can't be the only one here. See, it's not easy for me to put my trust in another person. And I was reminded of this fact about myself a few weeks ago. See, I took my Toyota Corolla to Moly Toyota on 103rd Street because there was a recall on the airbags for my Toyota. Thankfully, there was no cause for me to get my airbags replaced at the dealership, so I dropped my car off and got a ride to the church from Pastor Bill. Then about an hour after I dropped my car off, I got that call. You know that call where they tell you all the other stuff that's wrong with your car? that you really didn't want to know about. So the mechanic at the dealership informed me that I needed new brakes. He told me that I needed to replace a belt on my engine. Then he informed me that the cost to do all that work would be $500. Then he told me he could still have it ready by noon. And I said, I I bet, I bet you can. (laughs) So I dropped my car off to the dealership, expecting to spend absolutely no money and I found out that I was gonna actually have to spend half a grand. 
And the first question that came to my mind in that moment was, can I trust these people? I mean, I've never been to Moli Toyota, so I wondered, were they trying to pull one over on me? But I hadn't really done any work to my Toyota since I bought it three years ago. So I decided to spend the money to get my brakes and my belt replaced, but I still wondered if I could trust the people at the mechanic shop. Have you ever struggled to trust other people? We live in a dangerous world where people try to take advantage of other people, so it's not easy for many people to trust another person. It's not just people, though, is it? If you're anything like me, you may not only find it hard to trust people, but to trust God. I know God is holy, perfect, all-powerful, and good. I know God is far more reliable than any person, but I still struggle with distrusting God. Have you ever been there? Due to our sinfulness, we all struggle to trust God and believe his word. And this is where Abraham was at in our text this morning. He wondered if he could trust God. Now we are beginning a new series in Genesis this morning called The Earth Shall Be Blessed. The Earth Shall Be Blessed. Last week, Paul preached a great sermon on Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And in this text, God informed Abram that he was going to bless all the families of the earth through him. Despite this incredible, incredible promise, Abram still has his doubts. Abram still struggles to believe God's promises. And through our text this morning, we will answer three important questions that remind us of the character of our God. Now, the first question our text answers is, what should we do when we feel hopeless? What should we do when we feel hopeless? Abram is at a place of hopelessness at the beginning of our text this morning in Genesis 15. And you may wonder, what has brought Abram to this place of hopelessness? Well, I think we find an answer to this question in the first three words of our text this morning. Genesis 15:1 begins with these three words, after these things. After these things. See, there were some things that took place prior to chapter 15 that brought Abram to this place of hopelessness. At the beginning of Genesis 12, God called Abram to do something extremely countercultural. He called Abram to leave his family and his home. And God promised to make Abram's name great and bless all the nations through him. So Abram left his homeland with his wife, Sarah, and his cousin, Lot. Then in Genesis 14, Abram's cousin, Lot, is kidnapped by a group of kings that were at war with another group of kings. When Abram finds out his family member has been taken, he goes Liam Neeson on them. <laughs> he hunts down these kings with 300 trained warriors and gets his cousin back. He also takes all their possessions. Abram also brought back the possessions that these kings took from the king of Sodom. And out of the gratitude, the king of Sodom comes to Abram and offers him this reward that Abram ends up turning down. So think about this for a minute. Abram has just returned victoriously after defeating the equivalent of five mob bosses. He has got to be thinking, this isn't over. These kings will come back for me. 
And on top of that, his faithfulness to God compelled him to reject the bountiful reward offered to him by the king of Sodom. So right now, Abram's security and well-being is in serious jeopardy, which is precisely why God speaks to him in this moment and tells him not to fear. Let's look back at the beginning of our text this morning. It reads, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is a laser of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. God appeared to Abram and let him know that he would be his shield. And we know what shields do, don't we? They protect. God is basically letting Abram know that he will protect him from the other kings who may come after him. On top of this, God lets Abram know that he will receive a great reward from him. This reward will surpass the reward that he rejected from the king of Sodom. And God is most likely referring to the reward of land that he promised him in Genesis 13 and 12. But Abram is not satisfied with this promise for protection or a great reward of land. In verse 3 of our text, Abram basically tells God protection and a reward mean nothing because he still doesn't have a child. Since he has no kids, all his wealth will be passed down to one of his servants. But we shouldn't forget what God already told Abram about children. Back in Genesis chapter 12 and 13. It seems like Abram forgot what God said, but we shouldn't. Take a look at it with me. In Genesis 12, 13, it reads, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And in Genesis 13, 16, God says, Abram, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one could count the dust of the earth, your offspring also could be counted. Through these verses, we see that God had told Abraham multiple times that he would give him children. But Abram is at a place of hopelessness. He's at a place where he's doubting God's word. He's at a place where he's forgotten God's promise to him because God has still not given him a child yet. I don't know about you, but I can relate with Abram. I can relate to his feelings of hopelessness and his doubts about God's promises. Just two weeks ago, I had a close family member pass away suddenly. And this family member, my cousin Tamara, was like an older sister to me growing up. And I followed her around relentlessly as a kid, but she passed away a few weeks ago at only the age of 40. And she still has two children in high school. She had a bachelor's degree, but she went back to college for nursing. She graduated from her nursing program of, on May 10th of this year. She started her new nursing job on May 13th, and she passed away on May 15th. Last weekend, we had her funeral. And even though my cousin was a Christian who led worship at her church, the funeral was hard. Her sudden death has definitely brought me to a place of hopelessness, 
A place where I've doubted God's promises like the one in Romans 8.28 where he says he works all things for the good of those who love him. And if we live long enough, we all face circumstances that bring us to a place of hopelessness. We live in a broken world. We live in a world of infertility. We live in a world of family division and strife. We live in a world of violence and abuse. We live in a world where people die suddenly. We live in a world where natural disasters like tornadoes take people's lives. And I have a question for you this morning. What situation in your life makes you feel hopeless this morning? Or what circumstances in your life lead you to doubt God's promises? See, our text shows us what to do when we feel hopeless. Our text shows us what to do when the circumstances of our life bring us to a dark place. We have to do what Abram did in our text this morning. We have to bring our doubts to God. Abram brought his hopeless situation to God in prayer. In light of his example, we should be open and honest about our doubts. Abram did not allow his hopeless situation to move him away from God. He was honest to God about his doubts. When we feel hopeless, we should cry out to God in prayer. When your children are acting out, you should bring it to the Lord in prayer. When you have drama at your job, you should bring it to the Lord in prayer. When you have health problems, we should bring it to the Lord in prayer. When we have strife in our family, we should bring it to the Lord in prayer. Whatever brings us to the place of hopelessness in our life, we should bring it to the Lord in prayer. Amen? When we feel hopeless... We must openly and honestly pray to God. This is what we see in our text. Now, our text this morning does not only show us what to do when we feel hopeless, it also answers the question, what happens when we trust God? What happens when we trust God? Let's look back at our text this morning, beginning in Genesis 15, verse 4. It reads, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. When Abram gives God his doubts, God gives him his word. In verse 4, God basically says, Abram, your servant will not inherit your property because your own son is going to inherit it. God reaffirms his promise that he gave to Abraham of a child. Then in verse 5, God takes Abram outside at nighttime. After he is outside in the dark, God commands Abram to look up at the stars in the night sky. Then he informs Abram that his offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky or as the ones on our TV monitors right now. (laughs) But imagine being there with God at night and looking at the stars as you receive this amazing promise from God. Abram is clearly moved by the scene because in verse 6 it says that he believed God's promise. Abram trusted God's word. 
And I don't want you to miss this because trusting God's word is a big deal. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve bring bring sin into our world because they didn't trust God's word. God told them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God told them if they ate from that tree that they would die. But they believed the serpent, Satan, over God. They ate from the tree and they brought sin and death into our world. The root of all sin in our life is unbelief in God's word. We sin because we distrust God and his word. But Abraham believes God's word in our text this morning, and this clearly pleases God because at the end of verse 6 it says that God counted his trust to him as righteousness. Abram is not perfect and holy like God, but he is counted as righteous because he trusted in God's word. Abram stopped trusting in himself. Abram stopped trusting in his perspective on the situation. Instead, he trusted in God and in God's word. Now, it can be hard to stop trusting in ourselves, right? Right? It can be easy to trust in our perspective. And I was reminded of this a few months ago. See, I was at Midwestern Seminary, north of the river, writing a sermon. And I was getting ready to leave Midwestern to go to community group and something tragic happened. My cell phone died. (laughs) And I didn't have a car charger. And I usually use my phone as a GPS. And in that moment, I decided to trust in my own navigational abilities (laughs) to get me from north of the river to my community group. After all, I had been in Kansas City for eight months now, so I felt like I knew my way around. I had my internal compass on check. And things started out great. I was killing it, or I was navigating the road well. But I took a wrong turn somewhere, and I got extremely lost. I mean, I got lost, lost. I mean, I ended up in a part of town that I had never been to before. And I had to make a conscious decision to stop trusting in my navigational abilities to get me to community group. So I pulled over to the side of the road in shame and pulled out my tom-tom. And I wish it was a Garmin because I know y'all love Garmin and KC, but it was a tom-tom. And that tom-tom got me to community group. In order to get to community group, I had to trust in a higher power. I could not rely on myself. In a higher and holier way, this text calls us to trust in the highest power, God. We can't rely on ourselves to be counted as righteous before God. If we're going to be accepted before God as righteous like Abram, we have to stop trusting in ourselves and trust God. We must trust God's word to us. Now, you may be wondering, Henry, what word from God should I trust? God hasn't promised me a bunch of descendants and land like he did Abram. So you may wonder, what word is God calling us to trust today? Well, God calls us to trust the word of his gospel. God calls us to trust the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see this truth in the book of Romans in our Bible. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, under the power of the Holy Spirit, wrote the book of Romans to Christians in Rome. And beginning in Romans chapter 4, verse 18, the Apostle Paul writes, In hope, Abram believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. 
so should your offspring be. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. These verses show that Abram was counted as righteous because he trusted in God's word that he would have many offspring. It also shows that now we are counted as righteous by trusting in Jesus Christ. We must remember that we are not saved from hell by our own righteousness. We must remember that we are not saved by our works. We are saved by believing and trusting in Jesus. And if anyone here is not a Christian, I want you to know that you are not saved by your own works, but by trusting in Jesus Christ's finished work. Jesus lived the perfect life by trusting in God perfectly. Then he died on the cross for our sins and mistakes. His blood at the cross is covered over all our sins. We are accepted by God through believing in him. If we are to be counted as righteous, we have to stop trusting in our own efforts and abilities to make us acceptable to God. And we must turn to Jesus who died on the cross of Calvary and resurrected from the grave. And I need to be reminded of this truth daily because it's so easy for me to trust in my own effort and abilities. But this morning we see that when we trust God, we are counted righteous like Abram the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Now as we move back to our text this morning, we not only see what to do when we are hopeless and what happens when we trust God, our text also answers the question, how do we know that we can trust God? How do we know that we can trust God? And this is really the most important question. So let's look back at verse 7. It reads, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these things, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. After Abram is counted as righteous because he believes and trusts God's promise to give him offspring, God reminds Abram that he brought him out of the land of his family to give him the land he's currently dwelling in. God not only made a promise to give Abram numerous descendants, but he also made a promise to him to give him an immeasurable amount of land. When God makes this promise, Abram has a question. Abram basically asks God, how do I know that I'm going to attain this land? Basically says, Lord, your promise of land sounds great, but how do I know that this promise is true? And God doesn't get upset with Abram. Abram is not asking this question because he doesn't trust God. He is asking this question because he does trust God. So God tells Abram to bring him a female cow, a female goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. Then Abram brings him these animals and cuts them in half. Now this is weird, right? This request from God is odd from our perspective as 21st century people. If someone asks me to bring, if I ask someone how I can believe them, and they tell me to bring them a cow, a goat, and a chicken, 
and cut it in half, I'm thinking we about to have a barbecue or something. <laughs> because this is confusing <laughs> from our cultural perspective. But this would not have been confusing to Abram. Sorry, I'm trying to get it back together. <laughs> In ancient Near Eastern culture, two people would cut animals in half and walk between the pieces when they were making a contractual agreement with one another that was binding. The two people cutting animals in half to make this kind of agreement are basically saying, if one of us breaks this agreement, let this happen to us. Do not miss the weight of this. This is serious business. Abram knew that God was about to make a binding covenant with him to give him the land which he promised. And this is what we see in our text this morning. Look at verse 17 and 18 of our passage. It reads, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed through these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. In verse 17, we see that a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the animals that were cut in half. Now, this is confusing, but the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch represent God. God is basically passing through these animals cut in half. This is why in verse 18 it says that the Lord made a covenant with Abram to give him the land. By walking through the animals cut in half, God is basically telling Abram, let me be cut in half like these animals if I don't fulfill this promise to you. Let me die if I don't fulfill my promise of this land to you. God basically tells Abram that he would rather die than break his promise to him of land. In this ritual between two human beings, both would walk between the animals. But here it's just God. And that is how Abram knows that he can trust God because he benched him and said, I got this. God made an amazing covenant with Abram. This is why Abram knows he can trust God and his word. Now this covenant in Genesis 15 is odd from our perspective. But we live in a society which values covenants too. And I was reminded of this truth a few weeks ago because I went to a friend's engagement party in Chicago. My friend Isaiah got engaged to his fiance Rachel. I was so excited for them. and It was a great time of celebration. At their party, I was reminded that a relationship between a man and a woman hits a whole nother level when a man gets down on his knees with a ring and asks his significant other to marry him. Rings are a symbol of the marriage covenant. In a few months from now, my friends will have a ceremony where they walk down the aisle and exchange vows before God, family, and friends, and they will seal their covenant of marriage with the words, till death do us part. Then they will both wear rings as a symbol of that covenant. The covenant of marriage is a reminder that we live in a society that values covenants. This is why the urban theologian Beyonce says, if you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. <laughs> we live in a society that values covenants. And the God we serve values covenants too. 
This is why he told Abram to bring animals to him and cut them in half. This is why he passes through the animals cut in half. He wants to make a promise and covenant with Abram. And we can trust our God because he would rather die than break a promise to us. This is what we see in Genesis 15 this morning. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, okay, I get it. God would rather die than break a promise, but we are not Abram. God didn't cut animals in half and make a covenant with us. So how do we know that we can trust God in our daily lives? Well, you see, God actually makes a better covenant with us. God gave Abram the symbol of cut up animals to show him he would rather die than break a promise, but he gives us an even better symbol, the cross. The cross is a reminder that God did die to keep his promise to us through establishing an even better covenant. We did not believe God's word and we sinned against him, but Jesus came to the earth and lived the perfect sinless life we could never live. He brought all his concerns to God. He trusted in God perfectly, even to the point of death on a cross for our sins and rebellion against God. Jesus died on the cross to cover our sins by his blood. Through his shed blood, he made a new covenant. Then he resurrected from the grave. And all who turn from their sins and trust in Jesus are forgiven of their sins and are adopted as children of God. The cross is a reminder that we can trust God. We can trust God's promise in Philippians 4.19, which says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And we can trust 1 John 4.19, which says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we can trust God's promises in Romans 8.28, which says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we can trust God's promise in Hebrews 13.5, which says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Amen? The cross is a symbol that we can trust God. The cross reminds us that God died to keep his promise to Abraham to make his offspring as numerous as the stars. Because our Savior existed eternally as God, but he took on flesh through the line of Abram to redeem people from all nations and tongues. Through the line of Abram, the world has been blessed with the Savior who established an eternal covenant by his blood. We can trust our God because he died to save us from death, hell, and the grave. Now we can truly say our God would not only die before he would break a promise, he has died to make a better promise and covenant with us. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your grace, Lord. And even as we move into this time of communion, we thank you for the new covenant that has been established through the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord. Thank you for the blood that was shed so that we could be forgiven, Lord. And I pray that you would give us joy in that, Lord, that we rejoice in the covenant that you made with us, Lord, and that we would trust in you even more, Lord. Draw us into a deeper trust, a deeper reliance on you, Lord, and, and, and just show us your glory, Lord, and draw us closer together as a community. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.